Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. This is Daily Daf Differently, and I'm Rabbi Joshua Heller. Today we're looking at Masechet Eruvin 64. Most of this Daf and the next are devoted to a tangent, the impact that drinking might have on study and prayer, davening under the influence, if you will. We'll also wrestle with the question of whether it's okay to like one Jewish text more than another. We'll begin, of course, with the larger topic of the tractate. We continue to explore the overall question of whether a non-Jewish resident within a courtyard or a set of courtyards makes it impossible for those Jewish residents to form an eruv. It turns out this is a rabbinic stricture to discourage Jews from living mixed with Gentiles. Rav Yehuda says in the name of Shmuel that even though a non-Jewish resident has this effect of making it impossible to create an eruv, a Jew who is a year-round employee or a seasonal farhand and lives in that non-Jew's household counteracts that. The Jewish member of the Gentile's household may join the Eruv and thereby nullify the effect that the Gentile's presence would have to prevent the Eruv from taking place. The text relates a second teaching by the same sage, Rav Yehuda in the name of Shemuel which leads us on our digression. We're talking about the role of drinking in our tradition. Rav Yehuda says that someone who's consumed a ravit of wine, that's a couple of ounces, may not make a halachic decision, poskening under the influence, if you will. We'll come back to that second teaching in a moment, but I would like to note that the linking thread between these two statements, the one about the non-Jewish resident and the one about alcohol, is that they were both given by the same attribution, both statements of Rav Yehuda and the name of Shmuel. And so therefore we are proceeding not on the basis of content, but on the basis of attribution, associatively building our discussion. I would note that the sage Rav Nachman responds to both of these teachings. He agrees with the statement about how Jewish members of the Gentiles' household can enable the creation of an Eruv. He says, hashmata. How great is this teaching? But then, when he hears the statement about not drinking before making a legal ruling, he responds by rejecting it, and says that in fact, to the contrary, he does better after he has had a bit to drink. Rabbah challenges Rav Nachman using a verse from Proverbs, Veroezonot yabedhon. One who visits prostitutes, in Hebrew zonot, will lose his wealth or honor. Rava interprets this verse midrashically. He breaks down the word zonot, which means prostitutes, into two words, zo and naot, meaning this or these are nice. As if to say, if you say that a rabbinic teaching is nicer than another one, this one is nice and that one isn't, you are going to lose the wealth of your Torah. 
Or perhaps the choice of a verse that talks about prostitution is not accidental. It's as if to say that preferring one Torah teaching over another is in essence a form of infidelity to the text. I think that almost every student of Torah, however, does this. We find the teachings and the topics that we love and we focus on, and we find the ones that don't move us. Sometimes we are most fascinated and engaged by the statements that we find disturbing or distressing. Is any of that wrong? Are we not allowed to play favorites and prefer some text over others? Or are they all God's children, deserving of equal love and attention from those who studied them? Now we get to the meat of the daf, wrestling with the question of whether one may make legal decisions or pray after drinking. And we ask in the level of details, how much drinking makes one drunk? Rabbi Huna teaches that one who has been drinking should not pray, but if he does so, his prayers are valid. But that if he is drunk, he should not pray, and in fact, if he does, his prayers are an abomination. Later sages will explain the difference, that one who can still speak before the king is considered only to have been drinking, while one who cannot even present himself respectfully in that environment is considered too drunk to do so. And indeed, prayer is just like speaking before the king. But it's not just that. We ask, what kinds of alcohol are more likely to cause impairment? This kind of wine, that kind of wine. Can taking a walk or a ride sober you up? What about a night's sleep? What about a nap? There is a story about Rabban Gamliel who is riding a donkey, and that is cited as evidence. One wonders about the possibility of a DWI, donkey riding, under the influence. Now, of course, this teaching makes sense in the larger context of prayer as well. In Vayikra Leviticus, we learned that the Kohanim are not allowed to serve in the temple after having consumed alcohol. And indeed, in learning yesterday's daf, we noted that one of the accusations leveled against Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, when they were consumed by fire, was that they had violated this very directive. So if prayer takes the place of sacrifice, it would be logical to assume that one can't do that, that one cannot pray while being drunk either. Furthermore, if you assume, which I think we do, that prayer requires kavanah, focus of the heart, then one who is intoxicated would not be able to muster the requisite intent. Of course, this whole discussion has within it the seeds of paradox, because wine itself is actually such an essential part of our liturgy. And I'm not just talking about Purim where drinking to excess is common, but as part of almost every Sabbath and festival and life cycle event, Shabbat, holidays, bris, wedding, drinking of alcohol is part of the scene. According to traditional sources, many of those rituals and services must be recited over a minimum quantity of rind, which is a revi'it, um, somewhere around three ounces according to many interpretations. Strangely enough, that quantity that you are supposed to drink to make kiddush or have a bris, etc., is exactly the amount that, according to our source here, makes it impossible to pray with the proper intent. So what do we do? Do we declare a zero-tolerance policy? Or do we follow Rav Nachman? Because remember, Rav Nachman, when he liked one statement and didn't like another, he challenged our teaching. He said that he felt more focused, more spiritual, when he had had a bit to drink. And so we can ask, 
When one is undertaking a delicate and sacred task, is there any amount of drinking that is okay? I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.